I'm Cynthia Farrell, owner and principal of 110 West Group. I work with leaders to ensure they have the organizational talent and culture they need to achieve legendary business results and establish a positive leadership legacy. I'm passionate about developing what I refer to as legacy leaders, those who lead with a balance and blend of strategy, authenticity, pragmatism, and compassion. In most of the episodes of this podcast, I'll share conversations I've had with leaders who have found that balance, who have made and will continue to make an incredible impact on the companies they work for and the colleagues, employees, and customers they work with. They are true legacy leaders. In some episodes, I'll dive into a concept around legacy leadership and share my thinking, experience, and stories. I am a storyteller after all, and a legacy leader in my own right. If you know of a fantastic leader that I should speak to, or a legacy leadership concept you'd like to hear more about, please head to the Contact Me page on my website, 110westgroup.com, and drop me a note. That's 110westgroup.com. Welcome to This Is How We Lead, Conversations with Legacy Leaders. This episode continues the Leading in Crisis series of this podcast, where I'm talking to legacy leaders about how they're leading their teams in our current reality. That reality is leading during a pandemic, something probably none of us have experience with. For more information on this series, I recommend listening to the first episode of this podcast if you haven't already. Welcome to this episode of This is How We Lead. Today, I'm speaking with David, who is a friend and fellow HR learning talent expert, currently an HR leader at a financial services company, and I'm very excited to have David on the show with me today. So David, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Cynthia. It's a pleasure to be here. So we'll get started by asking how you're doing today. Thank you for asking. I am doing uh, very well. Had an opportunity to start the day by walking the dog in the park, and uh, I'm I'm doing pretty well. And I know we've talked frequently over the past few weeks, just checking in with one another. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about that morning ritual that you've established for yourself? I sure can. I uh, have been diligently doing a workout, a live streamed workout from six thirty to seven thirty every single morning absolutely making me sweat. Uh, absolutely doesn't look pretty. So I'm very grateful that while I can see the instructor, the instructor can't see me. And then once I complete the workout after a shower and a cup of coffee, I make sure that I take about 15 minutes to do a meditation to get the day started. So trying to stimulate both body and mind as we navigate this new normal. Can you tell me a little bit about your mindfulness practice and how that's come into play? I know you've done a lot of work with mindfulness and it's something that's really important to you. Yeah, I have been, as you know, a a lifelong learner, practitioner, background in behavioral health, but really focused on the importance of being present, staying present, uh, the importance of mindfulness. So I've done a lot of education in that area. and. I find that it's not as complicated as some people might want to make it out to be. It, for me, is really about stabling my, stabilizing my attention and making sure that I'm conscious of when I'm 
trying to feel out the past or reaching toward the future, trying to discover if those are things that are going to be useful to me or are going to distract me from being very here and now. I know that sounds a little esoteric, but I am finding that practice to be so, so helpful right now with the world grappling with so much anxiety, uh, simply just to return to the breath every, every single day. One of the many, many challenging things about the situation is that we have no idea what the future is going to look like. We don't. And however we can pretend or think or imagine it might look, it's probably not going to look that way. And it's so easy to get wrapped up in that anxiety about it, but it's anxiety that largely will probably largely be poorly placed because however we worry that it's going to be, we have no idea. And something I heard a couple of years ago that I repeat to myself every so often is worry isn't going to change the outcome. Right. And that's easy to say and harder to believe, but I think your mindfulness practice, which is one of the things that I have so much respect for you for and um, just really impressed with how you brought that into your everyday life and how you show up and how you lead, that mindfulness practice helps to place the worry in the right place. It's not to say that you're not going to worry and that's not realistic either, but trying to keep that worry from overtaking you. Yeah, I'm really glad you say that because I'm constantly reminding myself and trying to do my best as I lead others to remind them that worrying, in essence, is secondary suffering. You know, there's the thing that we're going through, and then there's the worry about what might be coming next, which can add an additional layer of of suffering to what can already be a really stressed out place that we find ourselves in. And I've shared this story with you, Cynthia, in the past. I had an opportunity to do a meditation retreat about a year ago. And uh, yoga was a big component of that. I know you're a fan of yoga. I'm not necessarily the practitioner that you are. But I found myself really enjoying the practice in the particular setting that we were at. And throughout the week, as we would do the yoga practice, the instructor slash facilitator kept using the phrase, so many options, so many options. And at first, that message was just very much in my head. Yes, there are so many options. My ability to do downward dog may not look as beautiful as the person next to me. So don't worry about it. Just do your best. I was very much focused on what I thought that message was about. But as the week went on and we began to do more uh, mindful meditation, I really started to become aware for myself that when I'm under stress and under incredible pressure, that our brains can sometimes constrict and we lose the ability to see that we have options. And I find that the environment that I'm operating in right now, where there's a sense of urgency, there's a sense of stress, there's certainly that sense of we don't know what's coming, that we can neurologically find ourselves not seeing options. And so as a leader, and certainly uh, having the fortune to work with a great team, that's what our jobs are, is to help people see that they have some options, even when it doesn't feel like it. So I'm curious, when you talk about your team, how are you bringing your mindfulness training, your mindfulness practice 
to your team in a way that is supportive of them without being, I guess, overbearing? Well, I work with an incredible group of people who have a lot of experience and a lot of talent. So if I talk about concepts like mindfulness in the work, I very much try to keep it grounded in what we do day to day. Unmindful practice that I remind my team to do is as they engage with business leaders and with partners and they listen, which is probably the most important component of mindfulness is to not only listen to yourself, but to others. But as they listen, to just also be aware of how they would answer the question. Do I understand, accept, reject the central premise that's being given to me? So as the business leader is saying, this is what I want to do. Um, Being able to ask myself, do I even get what they're wanting to do? Do I believe in what they want to do? Or do I think they need to go in a different direction? And if you can't check in with yourself on just that most basic of consultative questions, you're probably already starting the marathon in a really challenged way. So that's, that's one example of how mindfulness among my team plays out. And certainly constantly encouraging them just to simply check in with themselves. How are you doing? You know, what, what are the forces that are at play in your life as you're trying to do this really important work? And we all find ourselves in this very humbling, very level setting situation. Um, some of us, are, of course, are more challenged than others based upon our circumstances, but many of us are home contending with kids and dogs and noise. Many of us are going in to environments that are, you know, seemingly alien from what they've experienced in the past, you know, wearing face masks or wearing, you know, dealing with customers who are wearing face masks or constantly that threat of, am I being exposed to something that could, you know, be detrimental to my health or the health of the people that I care about? So there are many invitations in the world today to get pulled off of your center and that ability to just say, how am I doing right now? And how might it be compromising my ability to serve? I think is such an important mindful question. You also serve a role as an executive coach in your organization. I'm curious to hear from you how your role, how you have engaged with those you're coaching, how those conversations may have shifted since this crisis started and and as we're moving through it. It's a great question. There are invitations all around us, given the current circumstances, to be reflective to consider our impact on the world around us and to, again, look inward. And so with my coaching practice, what's not changed is I am always encouraging candid, vulnerable conversations with my coaches to better understand where their developmental edge is. You know, where's that space that they need to grow and it may be very nuanced. It certainly may not be broad brush, but I find in my experience as a coach, if you try to coach past that developmental edge, they won't have any idea what you're talking about. And if you're coaching well within the center of where they're used to operating, you're having a great conversation. You're not coaching. So I do a lot of contracting on the front end and a lot of conversation to really understand where that edge is for someone. And one of the questions that I'm asking my coaches these days 
is what is required of you right now? As you think about the people that you care about, whether that's in your personal life or with your team, what is required of you? And how comfortable is that for you? And how do you sustain providing what is required of you in a healthy way? And that usually leads to some pretty rich conversations. I love that question. What is required of you right now? Mm-hmm. And then following that with, and how, you know, how sustainable is that? Mm-hmm. Have you found in those conversations that your coaches identify things that maybe they feel are required of them that aren't necessarily that they can let go of? Yes. You're smiling at me. <laughs> and you're smiling back at me. Which, yes. Absolutely. I think the beautiful thing about that question is it reveals my agenda. It reveals what's important to me. It doesn't necessarily reveal reality. So it's really a gateway question to better understand how one prefers to operate, what assumptions one is making, what beliefs someone's holding in a particular moment. And then, of course, as a coach, I can invite my coachee to validate those beliefs and assumptions and positions. I love that as a takeaway for this episode is just asking yourself the question, what's required of me right now? And is that reality or is it my perception? And are there things that I can let go of? And I think that that, David, needs to be a whole conversation for a future episode of this podcast, because that is so rich. I'm sitting here as, you know, we're talking about this. I'm sitting here having that inner monologue with myself, right? About what's, what do I think is required of me? And is it truly a requirement that is coming from outside or is it a requirement I'm putting on myself? Yes, that you are already on the path with that beautiful question. And that's why I love it so much. I mean, we we will never arrive in my humble opinion, but I, as a human, am constantly trying to improve my ability to objectively see my attachments. Not necessarily to get rid of my attachments. Some of my attachments are going to be firmly held probably till the end of my days, but to be able to objectively see them and then decide if they're important. Right. Being and able useful. to name them. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So as you've gone through this, you know, obviously you're doing all this work with your team, your coaching, your coaches. What have you learned about yourself as a leader during this time? What have I learned about myself? I, in full disclosure, I have a propensity to overthink things at times. And so I have been back to the comment about attachments. I'm attached to overthinking things and learning things and researching things. And I've been very intentional about getting out of my head. So the beautiful thing, for example, about the live streamed workouts that I'm doing as they move way faster than I typically am comfortable with, with my past exercise regimen. But the beautiful thing is I don't have time to think. I just have to move. So that is, I think, so important for us to give each other grace that as we're having to navigate some, you know, unique, unprecedented situations in our organizations and for ourselves and our personal lives to just take a step and recognize that it may not be a perfect step, 
it may not be the right step, we can course correct. And I know you've had past guests talk about course correction as well, and would certainly just join that chorus that sometimes you just have to move and not overthink the move. And when you notice whether or not the move got you closer to a direction you want to go or not, then you can make some decisions from there. I'm reflecting on something I've learned about my yoga practice over the years is that there are times I will get on the mat and the idea of doing yoga is that you get out of your head, which is completely unrealistic, right? (laughs) Right. There are times where I will, I need a slower practice. I need to really sink into the postures, but there are times I'll get on the mat and my brain is racing. And the best thing that I can do in those situations is to just start moving into a fairly fast paced flow, not overthinking everything, just moving. And that will actually get me out of my head and keep me from swirling on things that I probably am trying to control that I can't control. Right. And that's something that I've had to learn and develop over the years. And and I think I've told you before that for me, I really believe that the mat is my greatest teacher. I always come off of the mat knowing something about myself or where my headspace is at that I didn't know when I got on. And a lot of times it is, oh, I really needed to get out of my head right now. And so as a leader, then transitioning that into of trying to get out of that analysis paralysis phase and just stepping into what's the next right thing to do. That is so right on, Cynthia. And as you describe that example to me, I, I reflect on you know, my own experiences with these morning workout routines and talk about being able to examine my attachments or what's required of me, finding myself on occasion getting caught up in that I'm not doing the move correctly, which is absolutely an attachment. It is absolutely a belief about what I think is required of me in my living room by myself. And when I can pause and notice that, I can realize that, well, I'm not doing the move correctly, but I am moving. There's still a positive effect happening on my health and my physical being by moving, even if I'm not doing the move correctly. And I'm reminded, and I wish I could give more specific credit to where I heard it, but I'm not recalling it, but I'm reminded of something I heard last week that while self-esteem is incredibly important, we sometimes underestimate the critical importance of self-compassion. And in fact, the person that shared this said that self-compassion may even be more important at times like this than self-esteem. And so when I find myself getting caught up in the, that voice in the head saying you're not doing the move correctly, it also gives me a moment to notice that I might not be doing a great job on the self-compassion front. And can I just give grace that, I am moving. And as a leader, then having self-compassion for yourself, it is, even if you're not talking about it necessarily, it becomes part of your energy, right? And others are going to pick up on that. So it becomes part of the shadow that you're casting as a leader. If you're having compassion for yourself, that gives space and permission, even though it's not necessarily needed, right? But it gives space and permission for others to have compassion for for themselves in the workplace as well. 
I know that many members of my team right now are partnering with and dealing with some very challenged individuals. And so sometimes the rough edges can show up with those challenged individuals. And I remind my team on a regular basis that again, when we are feeling challenged, our our brains constrict, we don't see choice. And so at the simplest consultative level, how do we help people return to choice and honor the choices that they've made to date while still helping them to see more clearly, are those choices going to continue to be useful to them? Or do we together need to figure out some different choices to get you to where you need to go? I love that mindset. And you always have a choice in how you react, right? You do. You do. And it will be imperfect at times. (laughs) And I am reminded in even personal relationships that the goal is for it never to, the goal is not for it that it won't ever break because it will, you're going to have, you're going to react below the line. You're going to show up in ways that you wish you wouldn't, but you do have even more choice in how you repair. Right. Right. Acknowledging having the conversation having compassion for yourself, coming back to the self-compassion. Yes. So I'll finish with one last question. What's one piece of advice that you'd give to other leaders? I don't know that I'm a, an advice giver. No, you're a coach. Per se. <laughs> 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 you, know, you know me. You know me well. I would ask leaders that I coach whether or not they believe people trust them more today than they did on a previous day. And again, the only intent with a question like that is just to invite reflection on how am I showing up? What's the impact I'm having on the world around me? And is that the impact that I want to have? It's not necessarily about changing the way you operate or behave, but being more mindful of, are you having the desired impact that you want to have? And ultimately, As leaders, we know that with people understanding our intentions, with people trusting us, that our leadership becomes that much more effective than when those two things are absent. One of the phrases that you've used throughout this conversation that I want to emphasize here as we're wrapping up is this idea of the invitation. You're inviting people to be reflective. You're inviting people to consider their self-compassion, inviting people to ask themselves some tough questions, right? And I am honing in on that word because right now with everything going on, it's not always going to be the right time for that invitation, but that's the beautiful thing about it is you can say to yourself, yep, not right now. This isn't the right time but I need to accept that invitation at some point, you know, moving forward. And it, it doesn't feel as much of something that you have to do to become a better leader or a better spouse or a better parent, but it's again, an invitation to move into some of those spaces and questions at a time that is right for you. Well, this is why I love talking to you, Cynthia, because you're absolutely spot on from my experience that 
we've used not only the word invitation, but intentional throughout this conversation. And I find for me personally, to your beautiful comments, that an invitation requires something of me. I have to decide if I'm going to accept it or ignore it or defer it. And then there's a secondary thing that I have to do is decide how I'm going to show up once I make that initial decision. And all of that requires a tremendous amount of intention, which is so important for us as leaders. I would invite those listening to invite themselves into some of these questions that we've talked about today, because you've given me a lot to think about, and I'm sure those who are listening as well. But David, thank you so much for your time today. It's always so wonderful to have these conversations with you, and we will definitely have more in the future. Thank you so much, Cynthia. It's been a pleasure. That wraps up this episode of This Is How We Lead, Conversations with Legacy Leaders. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn about the work I do with organizations and leaders to achieve legendary business results and establish a positive leadership legacy, please head to my website at 110westgroup.com. That's 110westgroup.com. And if you know of a fantastic legacy leader who I should have on this podcast, use the contact me page on my website and drop me a note. Thank you again and be well.